And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. I'm Ted Berg, joined as always by the Athletics Mets beat writer Tim Britton. And Tim, I speak to you. On Friday morning, after the Mets win a 4-1 game on Thursday, but I can't help but thinking, is this the future Sandy Alderson wants? <laughs> you know, three, they're, they're... three of their four runs scoring on bases loaded walks, <laughs> perhaps the least exciting way a run can score in baseball. The fourth coming on an honest to God single from Dom Smith, the great Dom Smith, but uh, you know, the 75% of the runs in that game, a win, a beautiful outing from Taiwan Walker, uh, soiled in some way by the lack of offensive excitement. You know, I, I didn't add it up. Usually, like, I keep track of uh, how long each half inning takes. And I did yesterday, so I, I could do the math eventually. I feel like the Mets were at bat for the, the game was three hours and 19 minutes long for approximately three hours and 17 minutes of that game. Like, the, the Cardinals were up for two batters. It was Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado in the ninth inning. That's the only time I remember the Cardinals being up at the plate with a chance to do anything. And, you know, I, I joke about the way they score the runs, but at watching the game, it's like, you know, there's there's runners on base and you, you're rooting for hits, but they're, they're not getting any pitches to hit because the guys on the Cardinals could throw a strike. So it was like every time in, in the rare instance they did throw a strike, it was almost so surprising that you couldn't really even blame a guy for not swinging or fouling one off because it was like one in every six pitches was a strike. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't the most fun game to watch. Uh, the, the Mets have had a couple of their uh, better wins of you know like important wins of the season, uh, and I think that was an important win on Thursday to get a series split there and and finish off a winning road trip for them at four and three. Uh, mm-hmm. You go back to like the home opener win against the Marlins, which was uh, an important win for them. Also, not uh, your favorite to watch as a fan <laughs> in in right. many regards. So, uh, hopefully, uh, I know it it is it's so it's so Bronx, uh, it's so Yankees to complain about the way the team is winning. Too many, like too it's many not, homers. It's not entertaining enough. Uh, but hopefully. Uh, the rest of the season contains fewer games like this, just from a purely aesthetic standpoint, uh, than than anything. I'll take them. You know, ultimately, if if it's a, a win, is a win, and some some signs of hope uh, all around here. We saw Francisco Lindor finally get off the Schneid with a hit. He sounded understandably pretty happy about that, and uh, some some nice contributions from with with several guys hurt with it with JD Davis and Brandon Nimmo who had been their two best hitters basically both on the disabled list. Luis Guillorme also on the dis- uh, I'm sorry the the injured list, uh, and yet now we're seeing contributions from Jonathan Pilar, Jonathan VR, Kevin Pilar, uh, sort of up and down the roster. 
feeling maybe a little bit better about this team's depth. Yeah, I mean, you, you start with Lindor, who who the 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 ninth inning single was uh, was really important just from a, a results standpoint and just getting some confidence. Like the there is no longer an O for countdown for him each at bat, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is good, but. You really take the overall six plate appearances that he had on Thursday. Uh, five of them were good, I would say. Uh, you know, he he walked three times. He got the single. He also barreled the ball up to center field, hit one pretty well, uh, I think, in his second at-bat uh, or, or second plate appearance. Uh, when a guy walks a bunch, you know, yesterday the Mets didn't really have at-bats. They had plate appearances. Um, yeah. You know, the, the one you didn't like was, of course, striking out with the bases loaded uh, or, or with two men on in the fourth inning. Uh, but out, outside of that, I thought he uh, he looked much better, more comfortable at the plate. You saw fewer bad swings. I mean, that's that's been the thing about his slump, right? Is that uh, it hasn't been a lot of like hard hit contact and good swings it's, that that have gotten. It's there, different. You, yeah, it's different you, from the the uh, the Jeff McNeil thing we talked about at the beginning of the season. It feels like a legit slump. He's not. He was not seeing the ball. Right, like like baseball neophytes like you and I can see that he doesn't look his best. <laughs> this is not the way he's supposed to look. And as that game went on, you saw more and more. Like, this is more who he's supposed to look like. Uh, and so you hope that carries over into the weekend against Arizona. And then with the bench, you know, you, you go to, to Wednesday's second game uh, where it was uh, Pilar, VR, and Tomas Nito probably had the biggest hit of that game, the, the mm-hmm. two-run homer, uh, to get them on the board early. Like, those guys, I think they all had two hits. They all had two RBIs. They had all the RBIs in the game. They scored seven runs. Each of those guys had had two RBIs. Uh, so, uh, that you know, the Mets have talked for years about building a better bench, and and I think we have jumped on opportunities like this in the past to say they have done it. They have built their better bench uh, and been wrong. So I'm not going to say that off of uh, a seven-inning contest, but uh the, their bench won them that game, and their bench has helped them uh, a fair amount early in the season. A couple big hits by uh, Pilar and VR, and, and now Nito. Uh, like that's been uh, that's been help really crucial to them uh, as they've dealt with a couple injuries early in the season. And with Pilar and VR, I think you can make the point that, and and this is in compa- in uh, contrast with several of the bench you know pieces that the Mets have relied on the best. Those guys are major leaguers, right? And and you bring in, you pay for uh, actual, you know, major league contract, major leaguers, and you maybe get a little more than than you would from a league minimum type guy or a quad A type guy that you're sort of hoping will ascend into the role of big league bench player. Yeah, I mean, you you invest. Uh, those guys are are each making a, a few million. Uh, they're not. The up and you know you're not handing a, a bench spot to. Uh, we're so mean to Eric Campbell. I'm sorry, Eric. Um, not handing a, very a bench nice spot. Uh, yeah, and and a manager uh, for the Norwich Sea Unicorns this summer. Huh. Um, that's it. Wait, that's a team, the Sea Unicorns. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's basically like it's uh, like twice over, not a thing, right? Because there's no <laughs> unicorn, and there's certainly no Sea Unicorn. <laughs> It's uh, they're they're essentially the narwhals, but you know, narwhals are, are sea unicorns. It's like a kenning, you know, the old uh, Viking thing where you don't refer to anything by its actual thing. You, you use a right. weird metaphor. That's I that's didn't know a, that that's a Viking thing, but are you are as as we've noted, our our Scandinavian expert. So I'll take your word for it. <laughs> 
I think it's Viking. Oh, I hope I didn't get it wrong now. Uh, so, so, yeah, they, they took over for the uh, Connecticut Tigers, who had taken over for the Norwich Navigators. Uh, but they're not actually an affiliated. Whatever, we're getting off track. Um, you know, we've seen the Mets in the past, like, give those bench spots uh, to uh, minor league free agents and, and guys who had... Uh, who weren't quite ready for that role. And that like that's a really hard role. It's hard when you're coming up and you haven't earned everyday playing time in the major leagues uh, because still you've been playing every day in the minor leagues. So you're adjusting mm-hmm. to a higher level of competition at the same time that you're adjusting to not seeing it on a daily basis. And it's also hard for a veteran, uh, for, for veterans like Pilar and VR because they are used to for a very long time playing every day. Uh, and now they're not. And I, I think it... it makes sense that they are playing their best now when they're getting a little bit more regular playing time. Uh, and I, I think Louis Rojas did a, a pretty good job, I know, to the complaints of, of much of the fan base in getting Kevin Pillar uh, some semblance of regular playing time mm-hmm. uh, in the first couple of weeks so that he could take advantage of a time like this. Yeah, it reminds me of the uh, the Bobby Valentine Sunday lineup a little bit, which people used to complain about like way back in the day. Why why are all these why are all these bench guys getting this much playing time? But you're going to need those guys at some point, and you do kind of want to keep them seeing balls and 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 getting regular semi regular plate appearances. So when you do need to count on them, then uh, they're not just just thrown in there cold. But I want to move to the the pitching side of things. On one hand, uh, like I said, a great performance from another great performance from Taiwan Walker, perhaps is almost certainly his best to date. Uh, seven innings, uh, one unearned run, and and uh, 18 straight retired, I think, to, to end the game. Uh, turns it over to Trevor May for uh, yet another clean inning uh, in the eighth. May has been great, and then Edwin Diaz uh, allowed a couple of singles, but but locked down the, the, the ninth inning. The concern, though, is that Jacob deGrom has missed a start. Now, as of Friday when we're speaking, he is on track to start Sunday. Uh, He is pitching on the heels of a terrific feature you wrote about the way he has improved uh, across his major league career, the unprecedented things he's done. Please uh, convince me that he will be pitching on Sunday. Yeah, it was some unfortunate timing as I was finishing that story and he got scratched. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, we decided to go with it anyway, in, in large part because uh, I was not concerned about the severity of the injury, of his of his lat soreness, uh, and that he, he would be able to go, you know, he'd miss a start maybe two. And it, at this point, the Mets are optimistic. It's just the one start. Uh, he played catch on Thursday. Uh, on Friday, he's going to play catch again, uh, and if he feels fine after, I don't know how how long a game of catch is before a bullpen session. I don't think it's terribly long. Uh, if he feels okay doing that, you know, off of what he did on Thursday, then he'll throw a, his usual side session uh, on Friday, and if that goes well and he feels good Saturday, then he'd be in line for Sunday. Um, if not, then he probably goes on the, the injured list and he gets pushed back a little bit. Uh, you know, he, he's basically said the that you know, your, your lat as a pitcher is sore after every start. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's just a matter of, does it feel better with each successive day leading up to your next start so that by the day you start, it doesn't hurt anymore. Uh, and this time, 
Uh, it didn't. It was uh, on Monday. You know, he's scheduled to start on Tuesday. Uh, it was on Monday that he he woke up and it was still it, it had gotten sore than it had been earlier, and he attributed that to his mechanics just being out of whack uh, mm-hmm. against Boston, which does parlay well into the story that I wrote uh, about how much more efficient his mechanics have become over time in like very small and subtle ways. Uh, I talked to uh, people who saw him in college. I talked to Dave Island, the the Mets' former pitching coach, who was a big part of making a lot of these small changes. And I talked to some people at like Driveline uh, who do much deeper uh, pitching analysis than I am capable of on my own. Uh, and they, they pointed out like the, the way he stays back on the rubber, the way he uses his lower body, the way he, you know, just like the way his ankle positions differently and drives differently off the mound uh, are things that allow him to A, repeat his delivery more consistently and locate pitches better, uh, but B, also add the velocity that he has uh, in the last couple of years uh, That his and his body flexibility, which is unusual for a 32-year-old, that like he is still, it seems, as flexible now as he ever was. Uh, and that's something that doesn't have to do with starting pitching later in life than most guys. Uh, also helps him uh, do all of those things still the same way. Uh, and so- I think it was a quote from the driveline guy who I think it was the driveline guy. He said, this is like a, a one in a million type outlier. Like it was bound to happen eventually that someone might be the pitcher who adds five miles an hour or four and a half miles an hour, whatever it is across his, uh, his late twenties and early thirties. But this is, I mean, I guess it's just a, a reminder for all of us to, to appreciate this as much as I, I hope we do. This is not typical. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really remarkable. Like, it's not just that he's added uh, five miles an hour at from age like 26, 27 to thirty three, which he is now. Uh, like that, that's a ridiculous amount of velocity to add at any point in your career, let alone mm-hmm. one that's generally considered uh, a time when you're losing velocity. Uh, you know, I, I looked at like the top. 15 pitchers in wins above replacement since we have kind of uh, consistent velocity data starting in 2008 with pitch FX uh, and no one else has ad- you know a couple other guys I think it's Max Scherzer and Cole Hamels have added like fractions of a mile an hour to their <laughs> their velocity over that stretch no one else has added as much as one uh, and DeGrom is there I think at 4.9 so just about five uh, it, it's crazy and yeah it was Kyle Body at Driveline who said you know you've got basically a million guys trying to do this so it would make sense that one would succeed eventually uh but it's it's just i think all the more remarkable that the one is this guy who in college was throwing 89 or 90 miles an hour it's it's not like the the foundation had been fully laid at that point uh for him to to be this this kind of pitcher later in life well, like I said, it's a it's an excellent feature. It's a, a fascinating read, and I would recommend anyone who hasn't checked it out yet to check that out. Degrom's health is perhaps you know, and and this team will ride and rely on Degrom to uh, far beyond you know what what's going on in the in the back end of the rotation. But uh, even I would say called into focus more than ever because of some negative news about Carlos Carrasco. Yeah, you know, on I think earlier this week, the expectation, well, I mean, even earlier Thursday, the expectation was that Carlos Carrasco was going to make a rehab appearance, uh, a rehab start 
this weekend on Sunday for a minor league affiliate. It wasn't clear which one they hadn't they hadn't gone that far. Uh, that that would have been May 9th. And then you could have imagined him coming back to the major league rotation for his start after that around you know May 15th, May 16th, depending on on how the Mets shook out their rotation uh or you know at least with the, the time after that by may 20th or 21st uh but uh the mets in reassessing his timeline uh decided that he wasn't quite where they wanted him to be uh you know this is a guy who hasn't pitched against actual competition in 2021 you know it's just been sim games uh and seeing his own uniform uh, he didn't get into any spring training outings and we talked about how it usually takes those guys longer to build back up than you you initially think or that it would if they had spring training outings uh and so they put him on the 60-day injured list they needed to make room on the 40-man roster for Tommy Hunter, who had opted out and, and could become a free agent if they didn't add him to the roster. So they did that uh, on Thursday, and Carrasco was the uh, corresponding move. That means he cannot return until at least May 31st. It slows down his reco- it's, it slows down the timeline, obviously. It's disappointing uh, that it, it costs him probably two to three starts that, that he might have been able to make if, if everything were going uh, in the initial timeline that they had laid out earlier in the week. Uh, but I don't think it's a bad thing long term uh, for a guy who, who hasn't thrown a ton of innings the last few years uh, for very justified reasons. Uh, and and again, like hadn't seen, you know, I, I, I was kind of leery of the idea of him making one rehab start and then pitching in the, the minor, the, the major leagues. Like uh, you like to see a guy pitch against actual competition for the first time in a really long time before you throw him uh, in the deep end like that. And I guess if there's a bright side to it, it's that by uh, putting Carrasco on the on the 60-day injured list, they didn't put Seth Lugo on the 60-day injured list. And I think we had been under the impression that, that Lugo was a little bit behind Carrasco. Uh, that would give us some hope that we see Lugo before the end of May. Yeah, I mean, Luis Rojas has said uh, Lugo they expect back by the end of May. Uh, I don't know that we'll see him much before May 31st, which is the date that, uh, that anyone on the 60-day IL, uh, any of those guys who was hurt at the start of the year can come back the soonest. Uh, you know, it might be that, that he comes up on the 28th or something uh, because he's still not facing hitters, which uh, I think he was, when we talked about, uh, about him with Rojas last week, it sounded like he was about to face hitters uh, and now he's still just throwing side sessions. So, they, they still have this kind of vague end of May uh, timetable for him. You know, this is, uh, people talk all the time about how the, the Mets Mets players don't come back on the, the proper timeline. And it, uh, I think a lot of it has to do with the team being optimistic about injuries in a way it probably shouldn't publicly. Uh, and, you know, whenever you give a timeline for a guy uh, and he doesn't hit it, fans get upset at him, uh, which is not fair. Uh so, I, I, you know, Lugo was initially, what, six weeks? So the thought was maybe by this point in the season, we'd be pretty close to having him back. But it's still uh, off-season elbow surgery. And again, like, didn't see anyone in spring, didn't pitch in spring training at all, didn't build his arm up. So he's got to start facing hitters and then build up a little bit. Uh, not as much as a starter would, but still uh, have a few outings uh, in a, a rehab setting. So I think he's still probably closer to three weeks away than than one or two. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And what have we got in terms of injury updates with J.D. Davis and Brendan Emma on the offensive side? Yeah, that they should not take as long. Um, <laughs> Nimmo, uh, you know, they, they waited a little while to put him on the injured list and played short for a few days, which is not ideal. Uh, and, and finally put him on when he was still feeling pain on Wednesday between games, the doubleheader. Uh, I think the, the hope is that that is not much more than the 10 days, which would have him back on May 14th, I believe, against Tampa, Tampa Bay. Uh, Davis is kind of the same thing. They hope it's it's like his first IL stint, that it's only the, the minimum 10 days. Same with Luis Guillorme, by the way, uh, who mm. I believe is eligible to come off uh, this weekend. Uh, I think Sunday. Um, so all of those guys, the, the thought is that these should not linger much beyond the 10-day the time span of, of the IL. Uh, but, you know, we don't, we don't know for sure about that until we get a little bit closer to the end of that, that time frame. And in the meantime, there's talk that we'll see Khalil Lee at some point in in Flushing soon. Yeah, you know they're they're playing. They're, I believe that was reported by Anthony DiComo. They've been playing short on the bench. Uh, you know they've been playing with a four man bench rather than the five man bench they'd had for most of the season. Uh, and when two of those four are catchers uh, in you know Nito and Patrick Mazika, feels like you're playing even shorter because uh, you basically right. just got two catchers, an infielder and an outfielder. Uh, you know they've got some versatility like Jeff McNeil can play the outfield in a pinch if they need to uh, same with Jonathan VR uh, but you'd rather have have uh, actual uh, outfielders there uh, so Lee would be a, a guy who was on the 40-man roster like they have Janeshwi Fargus was on the taxi squad they could have called him up in St. Louis but he's not on the 40-man you would have had to make another Carrasco-like move to get him there it might have been Seth Lugo to the 60-day injured list uh, so you'd rather uh rather have a guy like Lee who is who's or doesn't take as much roster manipulation to get there. Uh, it sounds like he could be uh, on the roster on on Friday against the Diamondbacks. One difference being there have been other players in major league history named Khalil, a uh, Khalil Green comes to my mind. There I am not certain certain there has ever been and I have googled this looking for it. I'm not certain there's ever been another person in human history named Janeshwi. Janeshwi and, like, uh, that's it. I, I think it's it. And you know what I found while Googling it is he seems like he's a heck of a guy. Like, you know, because like, you look, you can go down to like 10 pages deep on Janeshwi uh, re- returns on Google. And it's all about Janeshwi Vargas. And people seem to really like the dude. <laughs> well, he did hit for the cycle uh, in that spring training game last year, which I was on one. like 
was on like March 5th or 6th and just feels like the last time the world was normal. Uh, and so uh, that will always be Janeshwi Fargus's in the same sense that that Ty's Tacos will be Taiwan Walker's legacy to you unless he does something, unless he throws three straight perfect games or something like that. Uh, Janeshwi Fargus will always be the guy who hit for a cycle and then the world came apart uh, to me unless he, I don't know, uh, hits six home runs in a baseball game. We've got a couple of questions from readers. The first comes from the very TD who uh, who told us about the Mets being friend zoned uh, in in the most recent show. This one, uh, not a baseball question, but one for you. And and you do incorporate a lot of uh, literary quotes into your work. He and I was a little offended by this. He is hoping to get your book recommendations. Ooh, so uh, let me see. I here. read books I've... too. Just a TD. I read books too. All right. I was on Jeopardy. I was on Jeopardy. It's not like I don't read books. <laughs> Jeez, sounds like someone's a little, little right. I, I mean, I, you know, I have a master's in arts and literature. I can, I read some books. <laughs> Do you want to go first? I, I, you can no, go first. I don't. I don't. I want to hear what you're reading. Uh, so uh, what I'm reading uh, right now uh, well, I just finished uh, Infinite Jest, which I believe we talked about that I, I took a Did very long time about? to read. Oh, I hated uh, I, it. I couldn't get through it. This is my second time reading it. Uh, the first time I, I had been unemployed, so it was a little easier. Uh, that was in, in 2009. So this one took uh, three months instead of like 15 days. Um, but uh, I, I enjoyed it. I, I like um, everything really that, that David Foster Wallace has written. Uh, he's an incredible writer. I think he's an incredible writer. And like some of his essays are, are among my favorite, like sort of long form journalism type things. I found, I found, and my, my thinking on Infinite Jest, because I only tried to read it last year or two years ago, I think if I had read it when I was 23, I would have like completely loved it. But reading it as an old man, I just didn't have any patience for him. It was like, okay, I get that you can write, like he, he can put together a hell of a sentence, uh, but it was just, it felt so self-indulgent to me. And I just wanted a heavier handed editor. And I know all about his whole thing where he would, you know, send like pages and pages of notes back to his editor and, and defend every single one of his choices. And maybe rightfully so, because he's David Foster Wallace, but I don't have the time for something like this. Yeah, like I, I don't know if, if I hadn't uh, read it previously and hadn't really enjoyed it previously, uh, I might have put it aside at some point this time. It is a difficult read, but I think it's worth it in the long run. Um, from a fiction side, let me see the books that I've liked lately. Uh, I re my favorite book that I read last year was was Exhalation by Ted Chiang, which is just short oh, stories, much much easier to read. Uh, I thought love that was Ted really Chang. good. Um, among like uh, authors that are uh, in vogue currently, uh, I, I really like Sally Rooney, uh, <laughs> like most people. Uh, I like Rachel Cusk a fair amount. I like the the uh, Outline trilogy, which. I don't remember what any of them are about, but I just remember really enjoying the read. Um, other like classics that I've read recently for the first time and really liked uh, Middlemarch, which is is fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I read a couple summers ago, uh, and then The Red and the Black by Stendhal, which is a book that like I had heard about for a while and I'd had on my like I bought in like my sophomore year of college and. I always considered reading it, but you know, you feel like you know basically how a how a nineteenth century novel is going to go. Uh, but I haven't read too many French ones, uh, so I thought that was that was much better than I expected it to be. Um, so I, I like that, and then, uh, I know a lot of people, a lot of baseball fans, I think in particular, like history. 
Uh, so my, my two favorite uh, history books that I've read uh, in the last couple of years are uh, Constance Wedgwood's The 30 Years War, which is just, it, it might be my favorite book that I've read in the last five years. Uh, huh. it's, it's about the, the brutal 30 Years War in the 17th century. Uh, and it's just like really delightfully written about this brutal time. Uh, so there's a lot of fun sentences. Wasn't that one of that was one of the wars that wiped out like an incredibly high percentage of Europe, right? Yeah, and achieved almost nothing. Uh, like like very little had changed in by 1648 that that had been in 1618, and yet uh, like just everyone's life was made much worse. Uh, so I, that was really good. And then um, Swan Song 1945 by Walter Kempowski, uh, who's a German novelist, but he put together essentially. Uh, I believe this is the only the only portion of it that's available in English, uh, but he went through and found like all of these people's journals during World War II, uh, and basically made a a whole compilation of primary documents uh, around around the entire uh, occurrence of World War II, the whole the whole length of it, I think. Uh, and Swan Song 1945 is about the last couple days of of World War II from uh, you know. The perspective of German soldiers, Russian soldiers, American soldiers, uh, citizens living in Germany uh, and various parts of Europe, uh, you know, people who uh, discovered the concentration camps and realized the extent and magnitude uh, of what was going on there. Uh, it is uh, it's a, a remarkable project and one that uh, will stick with you for a while. So that was that that one is, is really good. And then that's, hard, by, that's a good sell. Yeah. Anything by Dostoevsky, which is, you know, I've read pretty much everything he's written so i have i have recently um so i i always generally i typically avoid and this is i don't know maybe this is like sort of exposes me as a rube i i tend to avoid works in translation just because i feel like the language is such an important part of of writing and like there's an art to translation too obviously it's just it's just like a weird little thing that it's i i i prefer to know that the words I'm reading are the in, the author's intended words. Um, but I, I recently came to uh, George Saunders' book, and George Saunders is an incredible uh, American short fiction writer. He has a book called A Swim in the Pond in the Rain, and he picks apart, he has, it's seven Russian short stories by like the Russian masters, uh, Tolstoy and Chekhov and, and all those guys. And he sort of t he gives you the story and then he picks apart like why it works and how it works and uh, for any like aspirant fiction writer it's a it's an incredible book um, and I've also just and completely unrelated um, uh, Evgeny Zemyatin is a is an like a Russian writer from the 1920s and he wrote a book called We I am a huge fan of dystopias in general and. Uh, we, have, I believe, was credited by both George Orwell and Aldous Huxley as like the, the formational, the foundational text behind 1984 and Brave New World. And with 1984, especially, as soon as you get into this book, we, it's like, oh, like now, and unfortunately, it, it has made me like 1984 a little bit less because I realize that it's not so completely original. Like there's so many common ties, um, but that's been enjoyable. Um, and I've recently gotten into Octavia Butler, uh, who is a, an American sci-fi, a late American sci-fi writer and speculative fiction writer. And uh, I, I read Kindred, which is an, an incredible time travel narrative. Um, and I, I got into because I've been working on a, a time travel story myself. 
Um, and it was, it was good enough that I, I moved into some of her other works, including uh, Parable of the Sour, which is, which is an amazing uh, dystopia. I like, I like bleak futures in, in, my, in my reading. That's generally <laughs> where I go. Uh, but that was unsolicited because TD didn't care what books I'm reading. Uh, another question, a baseball question. And this is one we've, we've, I think, tackled almost exactly in the past, but it's just something that keeps coming up. And this is from Andrew. Uh, he says, what is your intended view of Ronnie Mauricio's long-term impact with the team? Seems like shortstop is out of the question. I felt like third base would be a natural fit. Uh, heard he's playing some outfield. I guess he could be a, a trade piece. Uh, and so it's not in Andrew's question, but I guess this needling little topic that I keep seeing come up uh, involving Mauricio is the notion that the Mets shouldn't have gone in on that big contract for Lindor because they have Ronnie Mauricio. And Ronnie Mauricio is a 20-year-old who has one full season, uh, one season of full season ball under his belt. Granted, he was the youngest player in, in the league when he did it, but it wasn't like he was he was spectacular in that season. To me, it's just premature to even be worrying about this guy and a major league fit in in any way. And and that's not to knock him as a prospect. I don't know from prospects. I just don't think it's like you it's just completely immaterial how he fits on the major league roster right now yeah like uh you know he is right now not the same le- like he's a, he's a very good prospect that you you can be excited about him uh as a Mets fan and what he can be at the major league level down the line but at at the same point in his his career Ahmed Rosario was a better prospect than uh Ronnie Mauricio is now uh you don't uh you know, with that, I mean, you can go down the list mind. and find hundreds and hundreds of of guys who didn't really pan out who were way bigger prospects than Ronnie Mauricio. Right. So I, I don't think you Lasting's Millage, <laughs> Fernando Martinez. Yeah. You know, right. You don't. You don't change when when you have the opportunity to get uh, a here and now uh, star like Francisco Lindor. You don't hold off because you've got a maybe uh, in Ronnie Mauricio and and a guy who uh, as as good as he's been in the minor leagues. You're still not a hundred percent sure even if shortstop were open that that would be his long term position. I think they'd gotten more confident about it, but he's still relatively tall for a shortstop. Uh, and and you weren't sure he was he was going to be. Uh, like an average to plus defender there. Uh, so the, the thought was he might end up at third base anyway or, or in the outfield, but that he has the bat to play in one of those spots. Uh, and that is, that's, you know, he's got the athleticism to make that shift. If you can play short, uh, you can play pretty much anywhere else uh, reasonably well. Um, you know, Rosario, we've seen make the, the transition to center field. They actually haven't checked on how that's going since uh, spring training, but I, I think it's gotten smoother for him. Um, that you know, you give him enough time in the minor leagues, he'll be able to learn third or left or maybe even center uh, if you need to go there. Uh, so I, I think like it's it's really not worth worrying how all of these pieces are going to come together because uh, the they can make it work if it's worth making it work. Yeah, if it turns out he's Cal Ripken, the second coming of Cal Ripken, they will figure that out, right? And and the second coming of Cal Ripken would be like Brooks Robinson at third base. So you could, you could handle that for sure. If you have a question for the Metrospective podcast, please email us. I, I, I'm at asktedberg at gmail.com. I will relay that question to Tim on the air, or you can get at us on Twitter. Tim is at, at Tim Britton. I am at OG Ted Berg. And uh, while you're interacting with us online, please do uh, subscribe and rate and review us on on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else where where they will allow you to do those things with podcasts. Tim, 
Uh, we've got more baseball coming up this weekend, after which we will, of course, be back to talk about it. And to preview a possible Matt Harvey start at City Field next week. That is exciting. Thank you so much, and peace out. Adios. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.